1: The MLB app, baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's Gabe time. Gabe Coon.
2: Gabe Coon was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all of football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy
1: bake oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Off and rolling Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. Welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I'm your host, Gabe Coon. On X at G underscore Coon 71 former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, how are you doing post-week one of college football? Oh, I'm doing great. Exhausted doing great. or no? You feel great. You feel re-energized, re-energized, ready to roll.
3: Can't wait for week one of uh, NFL. Yeah. Football's back. It felt nice, felt nice to do nothing on Saturday except watch college football. That yes. was great. That was a good time. Tennessee you know, took care of business, so I'm happy. Yeah. Memphis took care of business. Colorado took care of business. Oh,
1: God, did Colorado take care of it. It was a fun weekend
3: for the teams that uh, I have
1: interest in. What an unbelievable story I'll get to in just a second. But Colorado, over top of TCU, on the road, 45-42. I mean, that's the story week one. You can't avoid it. You cannot avoid it. And I think there's a lesson to be learned along the way. We had, you know, a revolutionary change as far as how a roster was built. And we saw it also another place around the country I want to mention. But 53 new transfers come in, and Colorado turns a 1-11 team into the number 23 team in the AP poll in one game. Coach Prime did that. Wild to see. But we have plenty more coming. Three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. I'll talk about week one of college football. Colorado, uh, we'll get to a little bit of Memphis football. What did I think? I've been asked that a million different times. I'll tell you what I thought. Of week one uh, for, for Ryan Silverfield and company winning 56-14 over a, a not-so-good Bethune-Cookman team, we could put it. that, that, that puts it a rough, win's a win. Lively, but a win is a win. 1-0 is 1-0. You feel good about it either way. Um, I'll also tell you on the flip side of the Coach Prime conversation, a guy who clearly is fed, who has latched on to the changing landscape of college football. There's one guy that I watched last night lose a game that has not been lost by Clemson to Duke since 2004. There's one guy there named Dabo Sweeney who I don't think has helped himself with the changing landscape of college football. I think he's behind the curve, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you what, why they're losing their way. Clemson seems to be losing their way. It's been that way for the past couple of years. Um, As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins, 5 o'clock from the Jeff Calkins Show and the Daily Memphian. He's a columnist there. And 6 o'clock, Christian Fowler from Bluff City Media on the Bluff Podcast. You can find me and him. We're co-hosts there. Uh, YouTube, full-length video version, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Hop into the Blitz around 630. And I'm going to save the Mikey Williams story, his preliminary hearing being postponed again, Save that for the Blitz, but it was originally scheduled for June 29th, and we're already at October 10th. I, I, I don't know how you feel positive about it. I think we've seen some positivity from Mikey Williams himself throughout the process, you know, posting on social media, um, trying to put on a brave face. But this just, just it, the more this gets delayed, Connor, the, the, the worse the chances get, and the chances were already slam anyway. Right. This is brutal. This is brutal. And also Georgia has more of a speeding problem, which I just can't understand. And it's just embarrassing. And this time it was a coach, a guy that a lot of people know, Georgia grad Jarvis Jones, reckless driving and speeding. A coach this time. <laughs> get a damn hold on it before you have another incident like you did this last offseason. And I hate to put it that way, but that's the truth of it. There's a reason that Georgia has struggled so badly and had deaths within the program is because they speed at a ridiculous rate. It's a ridiculous trend that they cannot get a hold on. All right, now we go on to college football I'd say it was fun. Um I think overarchingly week one is all you're always gonna get the FCS teams and you're gonna have those nasty games uh, where, you know, eighty points are being scored. Of course, uh, we did see Oregon's mascot do five hundred and forty six push ups, beat Portland State eighty one to seven. Do you think they swapped
3: out the person in the suit at You'd some point? you have to time, You've got right? to because
1: that per- that person's arms are That's quite, a torn
3: peck. You actually can't move the next
1: day or the week after you well, do Well, usually that. some of those mascots, because they have to do some tumbling and do right. stuff like – usually they're in shape, but 546 push-ups, I don't care if you're a, a Navy SEAL, that's tough to do. Exactly. That that is, that is a struggle in itself. But you get games like that, but you did get games like Colorado beating TCU 45-42. Shadur Sanders with his new OC, Sean Lewis, who I'll get to in a second because I have have familiarity with Sean Lewis. Shadur Sanders, 510 yards, 38 for 47, passing, four TDs, no INTs. His Heisman odds went from 12,500 to plus 8,000. And that offense was as prolific as it gets on the road to do what they did against a team that was in the national championship last year, you have to tip the hat. You have to tip the cap. That offense was ready to go. Sean Lewis was the coach at Kent State. Kent State couldn't keep him. He ends up being the OC at Colorado. And Sean Lewis, for a lot of Memphis fans, you should be familiar with him because this is a guy sort of throwing it back to Bowling Green State versus the University of Memphis. When we went down there, it was a rainy day at Bowling Green. We ended up pulling out the game very late. I believe the final score is 48-45, but you saw all of these different. I mean, Matt Johnson was the quarterback. He threw for nearly 4,500 yards that year. Garrick Dieter went on to Alabama because of what Sean Lewis was able to do. Those were prolific offenses. He is copying and pasting that to what he's doing at Colorado, except he has an insane amount more talent than he's ever had, whether it be at Bowling Green State, at Kent State. This is more talent than he's ever had at his disposal, And I know that this was downplayed throughout uh, the offseason. This guy, Sean Lewis, as the OC. But this is one of the more innovative passing play callers in college football right now. And you saw it at work game one. And that was just about as impressive as hell to see a showing by Shador Sanders where he broke the passing record. He broke the single game passing yardage record at the University of Colorado in game one can't beat it. You can't beat it. And now that gets me to probably the more important conversation here, Travis Hunter. I I don't even know how to put this into words what I witnessed. I really don't. I've never seen anything like that at the at the D- Division 1 Power 5 level. Never. I remember a few guys playing both ways. You know, Eric Weddle at Utah did it a little bit. Miles Jack at UCLA. But they didn't play every single snap or a majority of the snaps on both sides of the football. Travis Hunter played 129 snaps. And on both sides of the ball, capitalized. On both sides. I, I, to see him on offense... 11 catches for 119 yards. And then, on the other side, have a pick and three tackles. His Heisman odds went from plus 15,000 to plus 2,500, and for good reason. He is the Shohei Otani of college football. No one in my lifetime, and certainly in this day and age, can do what we saw him do on that field. The athleticism jumps off the page. the, The ability to read and react on the defensive side of the ball, jumps off the page. He was, in a zone, he was in a zone coverage there on the goal line when he got that pick. They ran a slant in front of him. He took off from the slant. He saw they were running an arrow route out to the sideline. He jumped it. He took it. And on offense, he just gets open, catches a ball, doesn't need a whole lot of space to catch the ball. He's sure-handed. That was one of the more impressive performances in a single game I've seen in my life, and I expect him to do it game to game. Now, the the issue you run into, in my opinion, and I said this to a bunch of people over the weekend, and I I love to see Travis Hunter out there as much as as we saw him in game one. Again, 129 snaps. He's entertaining as hell. He's must-see TV. Colorado's on the map. The amount of action that Colorado's going to get as far as betting is concerned and the TV ratings they will draw for the rest of the year, it's going to be insane. But I want to see Travis Hunter out there because it adds to the entertainment value when we tune in. But you cannot play him 129 snaps a game. You cannot do that consistently. He won't make it through the year. That, that's my one draw. That's the one drawback I saw from playing Travis Hunter in that role. It's so fun to watch. It's so electric. He's arguably, in week one, the best college football player I witnessed on the field in week one of college football. But at the same time, he cannot play those extended snaps if you expect him to stay healthy for an entire season. Now, what Prime has done, again, we're talking about a guy who took over a team who was won and 11 in one game. In one game, he's moved them into the top 25. In one game, a road game against TCU. And he had 53 transfers. That was first in the FBS. There's a lesson to be taken here. Um, and it has to do with turning over a roster of a bad team. There's a guy by the name of G.J. Kinney this weekend, uh, Texas State's new coach, took over for Jake Spavital, who was there, who was not very good. He was third in the FBS with 45 transfers on that team this year. And he also won a game on the road at Baylor, 42-31, to when no one thought he can do it. It's different and uncomfortable to see the amount of turnover on each of these rosters. But it's a new age, and it seems to be effective so far. It seems to be an effective way, if you have a bad team and you have a bad roster, turn it over as quick as you can, try to go make something happen, and get the product better. And I think both these coaches, when you talk about Coach Prime, when you talk about G.J. Kenney, they've done that in a, at a, at a, in a big way and at a high level.
3: Yeah, and you know, one guy that, that we... There, there were so many special performances for Colorado that we still haven't been able to talk about Dylan Edwards either, who was... Insane. Every yep. time he touched the football, he scored a touchdown. Is basically what it felt like.
1: He had five catches, 135 yards, five TDs. I mean, no. Or three TDs. No.
3: And then he he was also effective on the ground too. Like they used him in a couple of run plays as well. Yep. So
1: it's just he had four TDs. all It again. was
3: absolutely electric watching Colorado play football. And to your point about Travis Hunter, I think the hope is is that they're not going to be in such a tight game every single time. So hopefully he'll get he won't have to play 129 snaps every single time. Because I'm like you. The more Travis Hunter we get, the better it is for college football. I mean, this has become they they became much must watch TV after the first drive. They right. became oh, all season you have to make sure that you see what this team does because it's going to be special what they do. Even if they end up only winning six games, it's going to be special what these, this team does because the energy that Dion or that Coach Prime has just brought back immediately, immediately to Colorado football is. It feels like a revolution or an evolution in the game, especially, especially with the college. Well, and I think
1: you could call it a full revolution considering what he's did with his roster and how many people were annoyed with it. But he has created a trend here that I think a lot of people will start to see and start to follow. If you're in a final year and you know, of a contract and you have to get re-up, you're going to try to do everything you can using the transfer portal to get that team ready to go and get as many wins as you can so you can get that next contract. Right. If you are on the hot seat, and your team was not good a year ago, what are you going to do? You're going to hit the transfer portal. You're going to go make something happen. If you're taking over a bad team and you don't know if the guys there can really help you win ball games, you're going to get rid of them. You're going to find other guys. Now, I understand that we, we fall into this issue, and a lot of people took issue, even me to a certain extent, with not showing 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds the grace that they probably need when you show up somewhere. You're basically kicking them out the door and saying, good luck buddy you're not going to play here good luck and I, and i i can see where people take issue with that but i think in college football today we're in such a grown man spot you have to be you, you have to know going into it if you're going to play college football you're getting yourself into a grown man game if there's a new coach that comes in you could be at risk of of not having the same role that you had with the previous coach you play grown man games you're going to get grown man results so I think that there's going to be a, a, grow, a lot of growing up to do for even these younger freshmen, sophomores that come into college football. I think there's going to be a better understanding going forward of, of where they stand in the world and how quick things can seemingly be taken away from them. Because we see this working. I don't think this, will be a, I don't think this trend will stop anytime soon.
3: No, I, I don't think so. I also do think, though, this is a special circumstance with Colorado in a way because it is Dion, because they have the offensive coordinator that they have, and because they have a guy like Travis Hunter. Like all, like it, it's the perfect storm of things to work for Colorado because you know when you're able to restart a team and you're able to bring in a guy like or Sanders immediately as your quarterback, and then you have Travis Hunter, the number one recruit in the country, coming as well. It certainly helps things, and then Dylan Edwards too. They have a three-headed monster on the offensive side of the football. That it's just going to terrorize opposing teams all year. They're going to put up numbers. I do. I do have to ask you though, do you do you think that this game was more about Colorado or more about TCU being a bit overrated?
1: I listen. I I, I saw a lot of this, and yes, TCU might be a little bit overrated. Although Chandler Morris was a guy who was supposed to start the year last year, and then ended up getting hurt, and they ended up making their run anyway. So that was a talented quarterback. That uh, Sonny Dykes had a lot of you know. A lot of hope in uh, going into last year certainly has a lot of hope in going into this year. So I think they're a a fine, a decent, decently talented team, and maybe they're a little bit overrated. But when you come from 1 and 11 to go beat a number top 25 team on the road, I don't give a damn. It's not about TCU at that point. Fully agree. It's fully about Colorado. Colorado would have gotten blown out in that game last year by probably three plus scores. Here's the thing you don't put up
3: 500 yards of offense by accident. (laughs) It does not happen by accident.
1: But three plus scores would have been the the deficit that they were dealing with last year at this time, if not more. Like people, yeah, we'll talk about you know losing last year's uh, national championship the way they did. Um, Quarterbacks gone, a lot of pieces on the defensive side gone. You had some offensive line gone, starting running back gone, and people say, oh yeah, they're overrated. But at the same time. I think this is more about Colorado than anything to have the, having to do with TCU. TCU, sure, they may not be as good as a lot of people thought, but they were only ranked 21st, and that was by default because they made the national championship last year. But what Colorado and Dion just did going on the road, it's about them. It's not about TCU and what you think of TCU. If you're making it about TCU, I think that to a certain extent, you're sort of telling on yourself – and the thoughts you had going into that game about Colorado. You right. thought it was going right. to fall flat on its face and fail, so now you're making it about TCU ultimately and making excuses as to why Colorado could go win that game.
3: Listen, we talked a few weeks ago about – I can't remember which coach it was, but someone made a comment about Dion at Colorado, and it was so obvious how scared they yes. were about what he could possibly do at Colorado, and their fears came to fruition this weekend. Watching that game must have been a horror story for some people having to play Colorado. They were like... Oh no! That this is going to be this is it's well, going to be rough.
1: And the sidebar for the whole thing, like with the Pac-12, I think there was an anonymous Pac-12 coach that maybe I think it may have been yeah. the anonymous guy they, that, yeah. went, that, that went, went after what it was. that went after Dion and had a stupid quote. was like, "This we, is not the way it, it's done." Now the rest of the Pac-12, though, did you expect them to be undefeated so far? Undefeated, thirteen and zero in thirteen games. They're going to have the best season they've and had in a long said, time. And they're, they're about to gonna... turn to dust. <laughs> <laughs> they're about to they're about to be gone. And this is probably the best I've seen them play in football in my lifetime, especially through the early going of the season. I mean, this is this is insane. Now you have Colorado up off the mat. You have the best quarterback quarterbacking, like top to bottom. I mean,
3: Caleb Williams was unbelievable, dude.
1: He's six TDs, zero INTs through two games. He's got six hundred and four yards through two games. He's living up to the bill. Um Shadur Sanders, five hundred and ten yards in game one. Michael Penix just helped. Uh, Washington go beat uh Boise State 56-19. to Bo Nix at Oregon scored – the Oregon offense scored 81 points. Washington State has a good quarterback in Cam Ward. Or, uh, how about Oregon State? DJ Uyaglile, three TDs, zero INTs, look great in game one with Oregon State. They have a ridiculous amount – we didn't even see Cam Rising get to play week one. Oh, my uh, God. Team that's just, that's so true. I mean
0: yeah.
1: – the amount of talent, especially at the quarterback position in the Pac-12, is insane when you put it sort of against the thought process of they're not not—they're going to cease to exist as a conference after this year, the- theoretically, unless they add a bunch of teams, which is not going to happen, right? They have been impressive as hell, though, and I expect them to be impressive as hell as the season rolls along.
3: It's like playing the music on the Titanic while it's going down. Like it's beautiful while it's
1: going down. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. That's fair. That's fair. Now, a couple more things. Um, we did have FSU routing LSU on, on Sunday, 45-24. I was wrong about LSU. And I think it really came down to execution in big spots. Florida State took advantage when they could. LSU shot themselves in the foot. There was two, uh, uh, two possessions in the first, ha- first quarter, I should say, that LSU had inside the red zone and they turned it over on downs in both those situations. They still had a 17-14 lead um, heading into the second half. But those two red zone situations, if you can convert, get a field goal, get a touchdown, you feel a lot better about your chances. But then in the second half, and this is one thing I don't think Mike Norvell was overly good at when he was at the University of Memphis, second-half adjustments. Florida State proceeded to have five possessions in the second half. They scored on all five, and four of them were TDs. His offense, I mean, I've played in it. It's based on, one, efficiency. Jordan Travis was 23 for 31, about 75% uh, completion percentage. Uh, He threw for 11 yards a throw. There was efficiency consistently. Uh, They ran for about four yards a carry.
2: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Efficiency was there. Then you talk about balance. One thing that we haven't seen since Mike Norvell's been here, or since Mike, Mike Norvell left out from the University of Memphis, is that balance, that running attack. 34 rushes in that game. 32 passes. So the balance was there. And then explosion. It's another thing we've been missing out on since, since Mike Norvell left. Travis, uh, Jordan Travis threw for four TDs, 342 yards. That's explosive in itself. But three pass catchers had chunk plays for 40, 40 yards plus or more. So that in itself shows you. But the efficiency balance, explosion was there. Uh, I was very impressed by his halftime adjustments. He tried to start the game throwing to run. Once he got to halftime, he ran to throw. A lot more first down runs, an effort to keep LSU honest in the early downs. And then they started to hit those chunk plays to Keon Coleman, to Johnny Wilson, to Jaheem Bell. Uh and I think ultimately, we talk about receiver duos, and you know, Ohio State's done really well for themselves throughout the years. Alabama's had their moments. I I I look around the country, it's really hard to find a one-two punch that's Steps ahead of Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, both caught for over 100 yards. Keon Coleman is an absolute freak. He should be a first-round pick. Multiple touchdowns. Th- those two receivers are cream of the crop. You you said it. It really reminded me of watching
3: Memphis football when Norvell was there. That's what it felt like. They, they was just electric all the time, and they had these big plays. They were just kind of wore down LSU, and then would just hit them with these huge plays every once in a while i'm i'm thrilled for for coach mike norvell you know I've, I've always been a huge fan of him because of what he did at the university of memphis and i think a lot of us here understood the criticisms he was getting his first few years at florida state but we also said just wait till he's got to get his guys he's got once he gets his guys in the building this is what it's going to look like and when you look at their schedule man they can make a run here there's no it's, clemson there's not I'll a it's a little bit
1: it. but clemson is not an and that's that seems like Florida State can handle that game pretty damn handily. They don't have North Carolina on the schedule. Their toughest game, sort of looking up and down, is probably Duke, but they have that game at home. Duke looked really good with Riley Leonard. I they can did. I admit that. They and and part, of, part of Clemson losing last night had to do with Duke being better than we thought. But I look up and down that schedule. It should be a free ride into the ACC championship at this point with how Clemson looked. Now, Clemson can write the ship. There's always that possibility. They still have somewhat some talent even though i thought they didn't look as talented as they have in the past last night but that florida state team looks Electric. like looks like they could potentially walk waltz into an acc championship now after beating lsu the way they did and well, i think the, and the
3: defense was pretty good you know the defense held held their own defense in the second is half that's great
1: i mean jared versus one of i mean he might be the number number one defensive player taken off the board next year in the nfl draft and he's great off the edge He's athletic. They have Fabian Lovett as a D tackle in there. They, I mean, they, they have talent all over the field. And I think Mike is a guy who's done really good with the transfer portal, and he's not afraid to change with the times. And there's other people, namely that guy at Clemson, that are afraid to change with times. Now, Memphis football, real quick, I, I wish I could give more thought to what happened in week one, but it was against Bethune-Cookman. It was 56-14. Uh, it was relatively easy for the Tigers to handle business the way they did. Um, But two things jumped out at me. Uh, Defensively, even though it's a bad Bethune-Cookman team, that they were favored by 49 over. Uh, Defensively, I thought they were great. Through 24 plays, they gave up 24 yards. They didn't give up a single touchdown or a field goal, the defense, the entire day. Uh, Ultimately, when it was all said and done, they only allowed one third down. Bethune-Cookman was one for 12. They, were, they kept them off the field, only ra- let them run 48 plays. They averaged 1.9 yards per play, only had 90 yards on the day. So I thought defense was – It was great. A- everything that we thought going into the season sort of played out in that game for that defense. They got pressure on the quarterback. Cormonte Hamilton had a sack. Um, Jalen uh, Joyner, uh, transfer from FAU, had a sack. Uh, they were able to uh, sort of uh, disrupt – uh, anything on the run uh, in the run game that Bethune Cookman even wanted to put out there, I-, I thought they were phenomenal. But again, like how much can you really learn from Be- from Bethune Cookman? The other part of it is uh, the run game. Uh, again, it's Bethune Cookman. So that's the pre- that's how you preface everything. But you had one guy in Sutton Smith go for 115 yards on 18 carries for two touchdowns, first time that they've had an 100 yard rusher in a game since 2021. That's kind of a terrifying, really? terrifying wow. statistic terrifying statistic, but Sutton Smith went for 115 and two TDs. And Blake Watson transferred from Old Dominion, 10 carries, 75 yards, three TDs. More explosion in the run game, more consistency in the run game, but again, it's Bethune-Cookman. I think we'll learn more about this team in the next two weeks and and what they're going to be able to do in those two departments. Uh, Defensively, what are they going to be able to do against Arkansas State? Um, And uh, Offensively, how are they going to look against both teams, Arkansas State and Navy, running the ball in particular? They need to get back to more balance, and I thought they had it in this game. Even though Seth Ennigan, sort of the big negative there was that he turned the ball over. Um, that was not fun to see. Two INTs, weird one for plays. a touchdown. Weird plays, though. One for a touchdown. That was a good play. Good play, by, by, but Nathan also Kukman.
3: weird play. But very Very weird. good play by him. And them. he
1: took off. That's a fast one. He
3: saw nothing in
1: front of him. He yes. said, I'm getting this TD. Yes. But that, that was a strange game altogether, and there's not much to take away from it, is there? They it's won. They took
3: care of business. They did what they, they were supposed to. Defense showed out. We saw some guys on the offensive end show potential to be that explosive mayor guy blind come see, that they had, need.
1: Had, we looked look pretty good in that game. Six, right. six catches, 98 yards. And what I did like to see, and granted they were a little more open than they have been the past few years, uh, everybody who, every pass catcher seemed relatively sure-handed. Where in the past you've seen some drops, some nasty drops early in the game. Rock Taylor uh, I like Rock, is relatively I like sure-handed. Rock. Demir Blancomsey is very sure-handed. Six six targets, six receptions. Um, Toski Dove, three targets, three receptions. Blake Watson caught the ball really well out of the backfield. Like I, I I thought there was more consistency in that wide receiver room, just being sure-handed. It certainly and that's And that, like- that, 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 is a, that is a
3: massive... Step in the right direction. It seems it. like the offense is going to be dynamic in a way that it wasn't last year. They just have more guys. They've got more guys that can make things happen. And that was a positive that I took away from the game. Yeah. Got to take care of the ball more. Seth's got to be a little bit more efficient. But, you know, I, I positive signs on that side of the football. Before we, you know, move on, I do want to ask you, outside of Colorado, who impressed the most this weekend? Was it Florida State? Were they the, the most State impressive would be the outside other. of Colorado? Florida
1: State would be the other. And then a team I'm probably about to talk about a little bit in Duke. I thought Duke – Duke was 9-4 and four last year. Do people realize that? They don't. People don't realize that Duke they was a not. very good team last year. And, you know, Mike Elko, who's the former uh, defense coordinator there at a and moved over to Duke last year, before the season last year. Um, they impressed the hell out of me. I think they can be one of the better teams in the ACC this year and potentially make it to a championship game with how Clemson looks. I mean, they just beat the hell out of Clemson. Should have shut them out. What do you think about UT. Um, Tennessee uh, again. I hard to tell, in my opinion. They ran the hell out of the ball, which was nice to see, dude. That old can move, and also, also or uh, small and right. Um, I I I like their offensive line. I think they have yeah, some guys. They up, pushed up, them up around still. That they, they pushed still, them around even with Darnell Wright gone. They still have some guys like Cooper Mays. is still like you still feel confident about what they can make happen. Um. Joe Milton was solid. What, what I like to see from Joe Milton is in the past, when things aren't going particularly his way and he can't get his stats, he'll try to force things and he'll try to throw a bunch of deep balls that inevitably hit the ground. He played within himself yes. and took what the defense gave him the entire day, didn't make mistakes with the football, and I think that is, if I'm a Tennessee fan, when I look at Joe Milton's career, in, in some of the mistakes he's made in the past, that's an overwhelming positive for me to have. Justin Yeoman stat line: twenty one for 32-01, two TDs, zero ints. But he didn't make any massive mistakes. That right. should that that should mean positive things to come for that offense.
3: I think I counted. He did have like four or five overthrows, which is that's going to happen with Joe. But he had a cannon. He had one guy yes. that was like, "Oh my god." But to your biggest point, he took care of the football and he didn't panic. And we've seen in the past he's panicked. I also like this—he used his legs in a way that he hadn't had in the past. He was making quick decisions. He was very quickly like, "I got to go." He wasn't just standing there trying to wait. Now I will say the, the line gave him a ton of time, but he very quickly was like, "I got to run." And when he took when he just ran over that that defensive back, that yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. So I was encouraged by Tennessee's play. But no, I thought Tennessee—it was good. encouraging.
1: Now Virginia again, not very—they're very, very good team. bad. Yeah. But here's the thing: we <laughs> thought they were bad. They are. Dreadfully right. bad. It, bad. It's
3: it was honestly it was I mean, like they were know, playing a high
1: school team at, it, at moments. I, it's tough for me though because I don't want to go overboard with Virginia and the Tony Elliott experience because they've gone through. A they've lot. been through so much. They've been through a hell of a lot, especially last year with players on the team being murdered. Um, but they are not a good team.
3: They are not. Well, and Musket got hurt.
1: Yeah, not a good team. And uh, did we? I think we figured out too. Musket's probably it's not a good name for a quarterback. Right? It's not a good not name. a good name. I would rather well, be a, cannon or gun cool or something like that. It's a, it, it, here's what I'll say. It would like, be like no one wants to hear they have a musket for an arm. Like you want to yeah. hear you have a cannon. And or inac- something yeah, you have I mean, an in- no, in-
3: inaccurate yeah. arm that takes a long time yes, to load up.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, you have a musket for an arm. That's a bad Jamarcus thing. You got Jamarcus
3: Russell. That's what your arm <laughs> is. Yeah.
1: No, Jamarcus had a had a howitzer. That's what. That's what yeah. Todd McShay would always say. No, he's got a. Uh, Jamarcus Russell had a cannon. He just didn't. He wasn't know throwing
3: story. it to the right guy yeah. every time, though. That's what I mean. It was inaccurate. Yeah, it made but, it. Yeah. It was a powerful shot, but it was going to the other team.
1: So we have decided Musket is a bad quarterback. Musket, it could
3: be cool, but you've got to be good, and he, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't close to being good. He, you weren't talking about quarterback. It was panicking. That too was. But Tennessee was in the backfield the whole time. Yeah, they, like within two seconds, they were in the backfield.
1: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So I, I thought Tennessee looked fine. Um, Arkansas looked fine in game one. Uh, KJ Jefferson looked solid. I mean. Uh, a lot of these teams, especially locally, there's nothing really to uh, they took worry business. about. Ole Miss, Jackson Dart looked better than I'd seen him in a while. And, and, I mean, his entire career at, uh, at Ole Miss thus far. He had four TDs, no INTs. I mean, he looked good, but they're going to have a big test with Tulane this weekend. So and I'm curious who comes out of that one. It's going to be a fun one to watch. But. We shall see. Now, I talked about Prime. I talked about G.J. Kenny. two guys who were in the top three of bringing in the most transfers this offseason. They have adapted. They have overcome. They're trying to do whatever they can to make their team better year to year. A guy that I don't think's adapted very well is the guy we watched yesterday, and that would be Dabo Sweeney. Loses to Duke. Clemson loses to Duke for the first time since 2004. They lose 28 to 7. It ought to have been 28 to nothing, but Duke gave Clemson. A easy fumble recovery off of a punt, and Clemson ultimately scored off of that. But uh, I need to go ahead when we return and tell you why Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson are losing their way. That's next on the Gabe Coon Show 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back in on the Gabe Coon show 92.9 FM ESPN. Now we had one college football game on Labor Day yesterday. I hope everybody enjoyed their extended weekend. No, I did. No, I did. Got a little extra rest. But we had Clemson versus Duke. Clemson was visiting Duke. And Duke was a very good team last year. 9-4 uh, in year one with Mike Elko, who came over from Texas A&M. He was the defense coordinator there. It was very impressive. Their quarterback, Riley Leonard. Is a guy that will be talked about in NFL draft circles for a couple years to come. We'll see when he comes out and ultimately where he gets picked. But Clemson went into the game 12 and a half point favorites even on the road because a lot of people thought, okay, you bring in Garrett Riley from TCU, you're going to get the offense back right. Your defense is usually solid enough. They always bring in talent. Dabo Sweeney's still the head coach. This is a college football playoff caliber team. And until we see them get... You know, taking atop the perch they've had in the ACC for all these years, we're going to keep them on top of that perch. They lose 28 to 7 in one of the most, huh, games. You just ask yourself, what just happened? 28 to 7 lost to Duke, and they had one, uh, one touchdown off a Duke muff punt. They should have scored zero. It should have been a 28 to nothing game in Duke's favor. Duke wins for the first time against Clemson since 04. They win for the first time against an AP top 10 opponent since 1989. So, yes, you give shouts to Duke, but you start to side-eye Clemson. You say, what is going on here? And it's very clear their their offense is not good. And I think, overarchingly, they're devoid of the normal talent that they usually have that has gotten them to two national championships under Dabo Sweeney's watch. And with a bad offense, they've really had a struggling offense not just this year, but last year and the year before that with DJU. There's some issues, and everybody blamed it on DJU. DJ Uyagole, who's off to Oregon State, was really good in his first game, but everybody blamed it on him. You start to realize maybe it isn't him. Cade Klubnik was supposed to be sort of the savior, and last night, 209 yards pass and one TD, one INT, um, ran the ball all right, 12 for 34, but there was really nothing to. Right home about in his game. He he didn't play all that well. And the last two years previous to this one, I think the defense saved them. The defense saved them in a lot of ways. That's why they were still 10-win, 11-win teams. Defense showed up, held other teams down, made things happen, even when the offense couldn't. This year is not the same, though. I'm telling you that right now. Christian Wilkins ain't walking through that door. Dexter Lawrence ain't walking through that door. Isaiah Simmons ain't walking through that door. Trenton Simpson ain't walking through that door. All that talent you've had ain't walking through that door this year. The defense is not good enough to save them. They just gave up 28 points in game one to Duke. It's scary hours. It is, it is very, very scary right now. When you look at this Clemson program, if you're Dabo Sweeney, if you're a fan of Clemson, I would be terrified about where this could potentially. Go. And it's it's very frustrating when you think about how this offseason went. You hire a Broyles Award winner and Garrett Riley, who brought TCU to New Heights, got him to a national championship. They looked unbelievable last year. That offense just hummed the entire year, even when they had a quarterback go down. We know that Garrett Riley, we know who his brother is, Lincoln Riley. We know that the Riley brothers can coach offense. How are you offensively inept in Epton game one against Duke? How does that make sense? How does that make sense? I'll tell you why it makes sense to me. I think Dabo is still too involved. I think he, behind the scenes, has won these two national championships. He's won 10 games a year. He's been very good. He's been atop the ACC. And he is telling himself, even after bringing in a guy like Garrett Riley, hey, we've always done it this way. Let's stick to the script. The old days are the old days, though. You need to grow. You need to evolve. The first time I noticed this about Dabo Sweeney is this offseason, and really on ESPN, he was asked about Garrett Riley in his first games as OC and and what he wants to see happen, and this is a red flag to me. Dabo said, well, it's the Clemson offense. We've always collaborated as as a staff. We hired Garrett to come in here and coordinate the Clemson offense. Sounds like he wants Garrett Riley to evolve and change to what he wants and not the other way around. Even though they have not been a good offense the past two years. But I think when we talk about the lack of evolution and growth, isn't that a consistent sentiment with Dabo Sweeney? Like relatively consistent. He talked about previous to NIL, if players ever get paid, I'm gonna be done with coaching college football. I'm done. That obviously didn't happen, but players are getting paid. He has been, so inept and unwilling to go into the transfer portal to find what he wants. He wants to go get these freshmen. He wants to go get these talented five stars and develop them. I understand that. He can still do that. But when you have guys like Keon Coleman out there at wide receiver that would be willing to go to Clemson if you gave him an offer, if you have guys out there on the open market that you can bring in and change your fortunes for that particular season, you have to do it because guess what? Everyone else is doing it. Florida State, that team in your conference that is likely going to knock you off your perch, they're doing it at a high level. You have to take advantage. I, I just see a lot of folks, too, sort of mentioning, you know, five to seven year spurts of national championship contention is normal. And Bama has changed our view of that. Bama has changed the, the dynamic of how we view dynasties and really good teams in college football. And I think that's true. That's fair. But I ask the question, why has Bama been able to change our outlook on sustained success? Why have they been able to do it? Because Nick Saban, while he is prideful, he's not prideful enough to resist change in college football. Bama lost to up-tempo teams at the end of 2013, to close out 2013, Auburn, Oklahoma, back-to-back. What did Nick Saban do the next year? He hired Lane Kiffin. Changes complete fortunes around. Different quarterbacks. He had one of the best runs of quarterbacks I've seen in recent memory: Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, and uh, uh, and and Bryce Young. And previous to that, like think about the guys he's bringing in and winning with: Greg McElroy, Blake. That that's not what he wanted to do, but he did it because that's what he needed to do to go win ball games at a high level. Still, to stay up. Last year, we watched Georgia run the rock and play defense, while you know. I mean, you look at Nick Saban and his offense last year, that offensive te- tempo kind of hurt the defense. The, the defense took steps back because of all the offensive tempo they were running with. So what does he do this off season? Hires Tommy Reese to get the running game going. Hires Kevin Steele, an old SEC defensive coordinator that he trusts. He changes consistently with how the game's going and how he thinks he can win. And also what he's done in the transfer portal, what he's done on the open market, what they've done with the NIL. He's, he's evolving yet again, even at the age of 70. Dabo Sweeney's not doing that. And there's an old saying that a lot of people know. It's very clear. I think a lot of people will understand where I'm going with this, but it says pride is the enemy of progress. Pride is the enemy of progress. Thinking you know it all causes the fall, causes you to struggle, do things at a a lower level. And I think that's what we're seeing With Dabo Sweeney. He's got to evolve. He's got to hand the keys off of the offense to the guy, the Broyles Award winner he hired in Garrett Riley. Or this thing could go off the rails. He's got to be careful about his next step with this program that he's done so well with.
3: To To your point about Dabo still obviously having a big say in the offense, it was almost too balanced. Like 40 passes, 40 runs. It just seemed like they didn't have any explosiveness to them. They didn't have any no. tricks up their sleeves. It was just we're going to play football the right way, football supposed to be played type of deal. And it's like you know that works when you have a generational quarterback talent. It doesn't work when you don't. You know you have to be able to come and, out and you know, show something.
1: No no one's bothersome about that to me. And I, I'm not going to say Cade Klubnik some generational quarterback talent because I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he's Deshaun Watson. I don't think he, I, that that's not who he is. But he is a five-star quarterback. He's still a very good quarterback. Like, you can you can talk about, okay, when he doesn't have a generational quarterback, he still has a five-star starting at quarterback. A young five-star. I mean, if you can't make it work, you can't make it work. You have to, though, at some point, evolve, grow, change as an offensive football team. You can't keep doing the same things. What You can't just assume talent is going to beat the other team. At some point, you have to help your team out call different plays, change up the flip the script, make other people uncomfortable with what you're running on the offensive end. I think Garrett Riley could do that, but I feel like Dabo Sweeney's getting in the way of Garrett Riley truly unlocking what that offense could be.
3: It almost seems to me. And like I don't want to give too much credit to Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but I do feel like they deserve a lot of credit for the success of Clemson football when they were there. Dabo, sure, but it feels like they were able to cover up some of the holes in Dabo's whole scheme because they are who they were and when they're not there there it's just obvious it's obvious that it's not dynamic it's obvious that you don't have these guys that can create in a way like trevor lawrence and deshaun watson so if you're not doing dynamic things on the offensive end it's going to become stale and the other team's going to be able to figure out what you're doing pretty quick and that's what it's felt like it's been the last few years because like you said dju i think is a good quarterback he showed it this weekend but he was also running for his life. That offensive line wasn't very good when he was there. He didn't have a ton of weapons. It just felt like they uh, were I, like, you I, know I, what? They're gonna. It worked with Trevor. It worked with Deshaun. It'll work with DJU because it always works for Clemson. That's. It felt like there was an arrogance to Dabo where he was like, I am, I am the system, not the players. I'm the success. I'm and the and listen,
1: I, I part of me doesn't blame Dabo, Dabo for fully. Adjusting him, adjusting what he should be doing in, in college football these days, like adjusting his offense, adjusting how he recruits, because he's seen so much damn success in the past, he thinks he has the formula. But pride is going to get in the way of more progress. Pride is going to get in the way to what to where this this dynasty could to continue to go. You could extend it out five, six, seven more years if you just evolve the right way, start recruiting out of the transfer portal, stop denying IL. stop you know keeping your hands all over the offense because you think that offense has gotten you to where you are right this second. At some point, you need to grow, you need to evolve, and Dabo Sweeney seems relatively resistant to the changing landscape, and it's frustrating. Saban, in my opinion, Saban's the GOAT, and I think
3: a lot of Of people think that and should think that. The biggest thing that I've noticed with him versus Dabo, Saban has always understood it's the players. He's successful because he is the system, but he has always understood I have to adapt to the players and what's happening in college football to be successful. Yes. Dabo refuses to do that.
1: He he's, refuses. He's not adapting. He's trying to find, same he thing. He is
3: trying to find players that match him rather than adjusting himself to match the players. Saban has always adjusted his, himself to match what's happening in college football. That's why he's been so successful for such a long time and will continue to be successful. Because like you said, he has changed that offense and defense the last few years. Because of personnel. He's not trying to force people. You, he's not trying to put a circle into a square. He is changing. He's changing in to match the
1: shape of the players. Yeah. You can be prideful. Yeah. But don't be prideful enough to resist change. Right. Uh, prideful enough where you're resisting change. You have to make sure if you want to continue to have success, you have to always be learning ways to grow, ways to make yourself better. And I think Dabo is is at this point where he's got he's at a crossroads. He's got to decide what's important and how he makes this product better than it's been the last 3 years. To go from national championships to losing game 1 against Duke on the road, that's a that's a hell of a fall off. And again, I think Duke's a solid team, but Duke should not be a solid enough team to go beat a team in Clemson that is college that a lot of people think were college football playoff bound before the season. I mean that is that is a crazy fall off.
3: Does it matter to you at all? You know, we've seen a couple clips from the game against Duke. And to me, I find it concerning that all, that Duke kind of put it on him after halftime. Like, it was, that's what's, what's what, odd to me is that they came out after halftime what, and were not prepared. And his players were not interested what, in hearing anything that he said.
1: What, what really was it just stark to me is I watched that game, and I thought that Duke looked like the more talented football team. That was a weird feeling. Like, usually, even if a team, a less talented team wins, you know, sometimes you can be like, okay, well, they were talented, they didn't call the right plays, they weren't, they just made too many mistakes, yada, yada, yada. I thought Duke looked like the more talented football team out there last night. More ready to play, more experienced, more comfortable. Clemson is in a weird, weird spot. They were on their heels. Pretty the entire early. game. The Pretty entire early. game. But this could, this could be a weird spiral to watch this year. This is going to be this is gonna be one to watch the entire season. Because uh, we know that Clemson can look bad. I mean, they they lost the game early against Georgia a couple years back and ended up saving a 10-11 win season. They saved a 10-11 win season last year. Maybe they can do it again this year. But based off that first game, I would bet against it at this moment.
3: They got two weeks to get it together. Because they got FSU in two weeks,
1: and here's I want to hear one of the worst things ever: coaches, coaches poll ranked uh, ranked Clemson right ahead of uh, Duke this week. Does that make any sense? No. Of course it doesn't. Now AP poll got it right. Clemson's still ranked though. Duke ahead of Clemson. I,
3: they should still. I think they should probably still be ranked, but you know it's they've got they've got to show something the next few weeks, especially against Florida State.
1: Uh-huh. They do. I, I do. The Florida State might put it on them. They, they might put I mean, on them dude. based based on how each of their week ones went I, I would i would bet pretty heavily in florida state's direction but we'll see how clemson does in the, next, in the in the coming weeks but get ready with the NFL season with incredible offers from Fandle, America's number one sportsbook right now new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed plus all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV now is the best time to join FanDuel the app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash GabeK, That's my promo code. And kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and present in Tennessee. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one.